Welcome to Plot Spackle. From this point forward, there will be spoilers. You've been warned. Welcome to Plot Spackle. I'm John, and I'm gonna follow you into your dreams. I'm Eric, and, well, I think those young kids are just a little too promiscuous for their own good. I'm Richard, and I am very disapproving of uncaring babysitters. And today, we're gonna be filling some, uh, plot holes with uh what's lying around here it looks like uh, a variety of sharp objects lots of stage blood and we're gonna fill up a lot so of holes with blood. fake blood and uh sharp objects and some screaming teens it looks like horny screamy teens yep probably at least are there any other kind at, at summer camp the dead kind well there you go Yep, so today we're talking about uh, three classic slashers. The big three, if you think about it. We'll be talking about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'll be talking about Friday the 13th. And of course, Halloween. So let's, uh, let's start off with the first one. Halloween, which came out in 1978. It grossed... $47 million on a $300,000 budget. So, let's just say it made back its money, guys. Yeah, that's a, that's fairly successful. Yeah. So, Richard's the one who's covering this plot hole. And the plot hole that we found... Oh, wait, so uh, what what is uh, Halloween about? Oh, yeah. And what, what's the plot synopsis? So, Richard, you're the one who watched it. Would you mind giving us the uh, pl- plot synopsis? As All right. Say? So, Halloween, there is our our young Michael Myers, who has his older sister, who's doing, you know, older sister teenage girl things while she's babysitting him. And so he just straight up murders her. And then gets thrown in an insane asylum since he was eight years old. And then he gets out on the day of Halloween and decides, well, I've got one sister left. Time to fix that problem. And terrorizes her and her friends all day. All right. All right. So, Richard, the plot hole that we or you told us about to tell you about is uh, Mike. You said Michael Myers has been in a, a sane asylum for about 15 years, right? Yep. So the main plot hole in that is how on earth does Michael Myers know how to drive? Well, I've got a couple of theories. One. I unfortunately know there's a lot of people who teach their kids at irresponsibly young ages to drive because, well, if you're drunk, but your kid's driving the car, they can't nail you for a DUI. It's just irresponsible parenting or having watched, having watched way too much Canada's worst driver. There are people who just get behind the wheels of cars and decide to drive whether they've had any kind of training for it or not. And so he just kind of got lucky in this case and it was an automatic? Yeah, he just got lucky it was an automatic. Maybe he learned how to drive an ATV when he was on a family vacation earlier. It's Did, did the asylum have an outreach program to teach um, these people how to drive for when they get out? Life skills, man. All right, life, yeah. Got to prepare them for, uh, you know, becoming fruitful members of society. Not just butchers of people. So really, it's not that big of a plot hole to begin with. And 
he could just have just gotten lucky on how to drive. And maybe he had terrible parents that taught him how to drive when he was excessively young. Now, when you say terrible parents, that's like a rite of passage, letting your kids drive. When they're eight years old. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, I mean, just send them down to the corner store for your cigarettes and beer. Well, basically. All right, so uh, how about this for a plot hole? I mean, so we start off during the day, and he gets the mask, and he is just wandering around town, looking creepy already, just following these teen girls around in plain sight, and nobody seems to care. What's up with that? Like, Mike Myers' thing is that he walks scary. Like, that is his biggest sell. Well, it was the 70s Halloween, when people got way too into it, and there weren't hor- there weren't horrific slashers lying around every corner back then. Now he's just some guy who's way into Halloween. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, growing up, I didn't grow up in the 70s, but... Like, Halloween started at, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I think it still does. Yeah, but then people end at, like, 8 o'clock in the afternoon, so... As opposed to back when it started as soon as you could get away from school, if it was on a school day, and went until, like, 11 o'clock at night. When your parents insisted that you come home. Or midnight, whatever. Yeah, yeah, when you wander back in after going to the second neighborhood across the street that you weren't supposed to go to, but they don't know. You just got a big bag of candy. That's what you know. Exactly. So I just put down that he's a scary guy, but it's Halloween, and he, you know, he's just wearing a weird Shatner face. Alright, I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah. Alright, well, apparently the only holes in a... Halloween are the ones that Mike Myers leaves behind with a knife. There's a lot of those. But they're crucial to the plot, so they're less plot holes and more holes. Of plot. Yeah. Uh, sorry, before, what does Michael Myers use to, like, what is his uh, main go-to weapon, though? A knife. Is it like a butcher's knife? Cause... Like, you know the big uh, cutting knife, not, not a butcher knife, but the cutting knife in your Costco set? Yeah. Those. Okay. Just one of those, like... One of the larger... Yeah, pretty much every... It's in every slasher film from there on out. But I think they have, like, every slasher has their own, like, signature... Their signature. Yep. Uh, His is that kitchen knife. Okay. So, stuff you have lying around the home. Yeah. He's very do-it-yourself. Good for him. Good for him. Let's give a, a round of applause to Mike Myers for being a DIY kind of guy. But the real question is, DIY... Why? Well, they're promiscuous teens. We know how we all hate promiscuous teens, right? Yeah. Right? Speaking of promiscuous teens... Our next film, Friday the 13th, came out in 1980, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, on a budget of an estimated $550,000 budget with a $5.8 million opening weekend, and grossing... $39 $39 million in the U.S. alone. It's not bad. So what I'm noticing here is generally if uh, you want to make some returns on an investment, invest in a horror film, they, they get pretty good returns. Oh, when did it come out? Um, 1980. I, I mean, what was the specific release date? I forgot to mention, for Halloween, it was October 27th. So that really fit into the Halloween like time schedule. Well, Friday the 13th came out on May 9th. Oh, that's not so much the Halloween. Yeah, it did not come out on a Friday. 
Maybe the VHS sales? Wait. They did that? I'm going to check to see if that was a Friday. How do we check this thing real quick? Um, Does anyone know how to check this date.com? Sure. Was May... What day? My, May 9th, 1980. 1980. A Saturday, Google. It was a Friday. So it did come out on Friday, but it wasn't the 13th. Yeah. Was so, there Friday the 13th that year? Um, I don't think so. No. Well, there might have been some. There's got to be at least one someday or some point of the year, but not that May. So probably not during the theatrical run. Anyways. All right. So, yeah. Um, uh, Friday the 13th came out on May 9th. It was a Friday in 1980, but was not the 13th. So... Sorry, uh, you missed out on that double feature there. And uh, so here's the plot hole, Eric. Well, maybe, I, should I give a synopsis first? Yeah, yep. sure. Basically, a bunch of teens die. All right, now I, tell us tell us the uh, slightly longer version. Okay, so imagine this. You're up in the woods at Camp Crystal Lake. It is a defunct camp, but some plucky guy is thinking, you know what, let's help these kids out and turn it into an actual... Uh, retreat again you know for summertime and well someone doesn't like that and ends up killing the majority of the counselors and well you'd think it'd be jason but you'd be wrong it was actually jason's mom jason's mom has got it going on so she's like the opposite of the psycho killer then right yep basically because you know that one you think it's the mom but it's really the son and this Mm -hmm. one you think it's the son but it's really the mom yeah um her son Jason had actually drowned, um, I think, like 30 or 12 years earlier or something. I can't quite remember the timeline. but And the counselors weren't paying attention, so she was taking it out on all the, all the counselors who happened to be at the camp uh, at that point. So she's basically just been uh, wiping out a bunch of, uh, a bunch of teenagers. Who didn't actually have any relation to the original crime? Um, no, she, in the very beginning, she does get the two, uh, I think she does get the two counselors who were responsible, but then thought, you know what, this was so much fun, let's do it again. All right. Yeah. All right, so our plot hole here has to deal with towards the end, when we get the whole reveal, and, uh, so we got Alice, and she sees Brenda get tossed through a window, and then right after that, she sees Mrs. Voorhees pull up in a jeep, and there's, like, lights through the window, but if... Mrs. Voorhees is the killer, and she threw Brenda out the window. How did she teleport from there to the Jeep to drive up? So, when you watch the movie, so Brenda gets thrown through the window. The Alice is really sad and scared because, well, dead body in the room. I mean, let's let's all think we've all been there. I hope. No, just, just you. Oh. Well, I, I know what I'm getting. You tickets to Body Worlds, guys. Okay. All right. Anyways, so. She's sitting there and she's like, she's freaking out that there's a body in the room. And it actually kind of lingers on her for a couple seconds, but who knows how long in actual movie time. So, who kn- Mrs. Voorhees probably could have just had a nice jaunt back to the car, turned on the lights, and then drove up. So we don't actually know how long uh, it goes between that time. But I also have another theory on how this actually... Real, real quick, though, I have a question. Yeah. Do you peg mrs Voorhees as a speed walker well she is able to chase kids down in the woods so yes all right yeah so she speed walks so we got that and well it all so she's also 
she's got to be fairly athletic because up until this point it had been raining fairly hard. So the ground is going to be all muddy. So and she's able to make it. She's able to chase down teenagers in the mud in a dark wood. So and able to huck Brenda through a window. Yeah, and huck Brenda through a window. But and uh, was Brenda light or heavy? Uh, well. She was a teenager, so she's probably like one ten or something. All right. So, but, but still getting enough force a, to toss her through a window. Yeah. This is a fifty-year-old, I think, fifty-year-old woman. And then hit those steps to get down. So yeah. she's been watching those uh, aerobics videos, yeah. probably. The jazzer side has paid off. But this actually also kind of leads into my uh, my pet theory. Ooh. And that's there is a second killer. The reason I think that. Is because, so well, it kind of sets up the um, the sequels uh, to Friday the Thirteenth, where it a- we actually get Jason in the hockey mask, mask, uh, and at the very end of the film, um, some waterlogged kid jumps out of the water and pulls the surviving girl down, and it just kind of sets up maybe there was a supernatural like, monster here, but up until this point, it had just been a a regular person but i'm thinking well what if uh, to tie in with the sequels what if mrs Voorhees was able to bring her son back to life and the son could you know i think it deals with uh, voodoo magic something i don't know it was the 80s so they weren't very as long as they just said something foreign it was probably okay that that, that was a real good explainer mm-hmm. but so um the reason i believe this is because it, uh, when Kevin Bacon's character is killed, he's lying on a bed. Then all of a sudden, a hand reaches out from underneath the bed, holds his head down, and an arrow gets stabbed through, stabbed through his throat uh, from behind. If you look at the hand, it is definitely not Mrs. Voorhees' hand because it is very masculine. Um, it's, well, to quote Seinfeld, she's got man hands. But later in the movie... You actually see Mrs. Voorhees' hands as she goes to turn off some lights, and they look like the hands of a 50-year-old woman. So that's leading me to think that there's probably two different killers, Mrs. Voorhees and the reanimated corpse of her son. So uh, my theory is once Mrs. Voorhees dies, Jason, who was under her spell and had to do her bidding, was free to go and kill as many uh, promiscuous teens as he wanted to. Which was a whole lot. A lot. There's how many Friday the 13th not counting reboots? Uh, I don't know. I think there's like 12. A lot. He eventually goes to space. And I think he fights Freddy Krueger. Yep. He also goes to New York, I think. Well, I think it says he's in... uh, Jason takes Manhattan, but he's actually not in New York. Oh. I'm I'm pretty sure it's one of the biggest letdowns in movie history. He doesn't actually kill the Big Apple. (sighs) Ah... But, well, does he... I, I never saw the Freddy versus Jason because, well, I hear it's bad. Oh, I think he does go to a space station, too. Yes, he does go to space. And that's when you know your uh, horror trilogy or horror franchises really hit rock bottom. When you go to space? When you go to space. Yep, that's the final frontier. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure the final frontier is the bargain bin at the Walmart. No, they made it there way sooner than they made it to space. But... That actually kind of segues into the next movie that was watched. Ooh. That takes us to Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Nightmare on Elm Street was uh, directed by Wes Craven and released on 16th of November, 1984. It's actually our big budget film for the for these three. It had $1.8 million budget, which it earned back on its opening weekend and then grossed a total of $25 million in the U.S. alone. So, John, why don't you give us a quick rundown on... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So on Nightmare on Elm Street, there's a bunch of teens who are having this recurring dream about a sweatered man with a knife-covered glove. And then they start dying horrifically, and no one believes them that this is happening. And then they find out that the town has a dark history that has come back to haunt the teens and murder them. All right. And we do have a couple of plot holes for Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. Working hard here. Oh, yeah. So plot holes. Nancy, when she's going to have the big showdown with Freddy, says she has a 20-minute time frame to get everything prepared. And she sets up elaborate Home Alone-style traps like swinging sledgehammers, light bulbs filled with gunpowder out of shotgun shells, the whole deal, as well as has a nice heart-to-heart conversation with her mom, but manages to do it in only 10 minutes. How does she manage to do all of that in a 10-minute time frame? All right, so this is going to seem like a cop-out, but it was a dream. That's because it is a cop-out. That's why it sounds like a cop-out. Well, no, because... so on some time you say it's just a dream... It ruins everything. Just ask Lost. Alright, so the difference here is that A Nightmare on Elm Street deals specifically with dreams and levels of dream. Like, there's, um, it's very established at the very end. Like, her whole chase scene where she thinks she's brought Freddy into the real world and takes him through the traps is a dream. Like, it's established in the movie without any, um, ambiguity about it that that whole sequence where the traps go off is a dream. And so we don't even know really when she fell asleep at what point because she does transition straight from um, awake to the dream often enough in such a way that that just she doesn't know she's in a dream until freaky stuff starts happening. And the whole movie um, has a lot of little things going on. Like So one of the very first scenes is the three girls in the white dress dresses playing a jump rope and singing the song which comes in in like kind of a um, dreamlike fade in like the soft light and stuff those exact same girls are singing at the very end of the movie so where the dreams end and the dreams begin is kept really free i mean do we know if freddy can actually affect the real world in some cases he does like one person he kills um while they're not dreaming of him but by hanging him, but he was asleep. But he didn't wake up in a panic like he was being attacked. He just kind of starts getting groggy and then he gets hunk. And so did that really happen or was did someone dream that happened? And it would also explain why um, her parents um, are comically inept. Like her mom starts out like pretty normal, but as the movie goes on she becomes more and more of an alcoholic. And the dad is happens to be, you know, a police officer. 
like chief of police and uh yeah he's not really on top of things like they're never around to help her so that seems more like nightmare fodder so i'm gonna go with she dreamt that she set up those booby traps okay and it took as long as she imagined it so you know how dreams have uneven timing so like you can't run but things that uh you should be able to should take a long time just get done so she just dreams she set up traps okay okay well i've got one more for you though all right so eventually we have the whole like the whole town got together and killed freddy right yeah how come nobody was prosecuted it was still murder ah well um richard have you ever heard of a man called ken mcelroy uh i assume he's not one of the mcelroy brothers no he's not then no all right well ken mcelroy was a this kind of a bully and general jerk in the town of skidmore missouri and uh he did a lot of things he he was he was kind of a nasty guy he was indicted um 21 times and wasn't convicted and this is stuff like robbery armed robbery assault um child molestation statutory rape like he's doing all these things and the big uh thing really was is he shot a man an old man while he was robbing the guy's um shop he goes uh gets actually convicted this time and then set free anyways and uh goes and threatens the the man that he shot before that he was going to kill him and like other people and then one day um he was shot in broad daylight in his car with like around 50 witnesses and they don't know who did it because no one in town cared they were kind of like i guess silent heroes and so yeah it's, it's a dead case and i think it's kind of the same thing i mean because in the story specifically freddie gets um convicted then uh let loose on a technicality and so that's why the town just like corners him and burns him and i bet police officers were involved and they were just like it's done if none of us say what happened then it's good uh the other interesting thing here is the comparison is that uh um Although it's um, Friday the Thirteenth or no Nightmare on Elm Street is uh, was shown in 1984, it's supposed to be set in 1981, which is the same year that uh, Ken McElroy was shot. Though it was a month after. Huh. You know, just you know, mob justice just happens. Because mob justice is still justice, kids. Even though if it is very illegal, don't do that. All right, so we kind of had a short thing because uh, not a lot of plot holes in our movies. No, at least oh. for me, um, Friday the 13th was more plagued with uh, continuity errors. I was looking through the IMDb list. It's like, continuity error, continuity error. Oh, here's the team and equipment visible. It's like, not really any plot holes specifically. Yeah, mine was a couple of continuity errors and then some people being super nitpicky over this type of tree doesn't grow in Illinois where you're supposed to say this <laughs> film is. Yeah. Um, I think like also with Nightmare and Elm street, there's a lot of uh, issues concerning plot holes introduced by sequels, the things that don't line up. Oh, that's the same with Friday the 13th though. I, I assume it's the same with Halloween. Yeah. There's, 
there's a lot of uh, plot holes in the later films, but not really anything in the first one. The first one's fairly tight. I think it's kind of because there's like six Halloween movies, aren't aren't there? I think so. Ignoring the reboots that they've done, there's quite a bit, and I think uh, who who was it? Busta Rhymes gets in on there. Uh, Rob Zombie. Oh uh, no! Um, like the rapper Buster Rhyme, like kills Mike Myers. Oh, no idea. In one of the, I think Halloween Six or something. <laughs> uh, uh, all I know is Rob Zombie's directing the new ones now. Freddy doesn't do much better. He's had a music video, and um, he was more of a silent killer in the first one. He, he talked though. I don't think. Uh, I mean, Mrs. Voorhees talks. Yeah, but it's not a staple of a. Uh, for Jason to be a talker. Yeah, he just he just does the uh, ch 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 Yeah, and I don't think Mike Myers ever says anything ever. No. And uh but you know, Freddy is known to be the uh the wisecracker, the one-liner guy. So he's got his little shtick. Um so we didn't talk about uh Mrs. Voorhees' favorite weapon and Jason's. Oh. Well, so Jason's is obviously the machete. Um, that's just kind of the staple, I assume. I actually haven't seen any of the, the other Friday the 13th. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees does carry a machete, though. Um, and that's what she's en- killed with at the very end. But I think she actually got more, uh, deaths with a bow and arrow. Or just arrows in general. Because they're on hand? Yeah, they're at the, they're at a camp. There's an, uh, air, uh, archery range, um. But yeah, so I think it's more, I'm pretty sure it's more arrows. I think a, a general kitchen knife also works as well, but I'm I'm going to put my bet on. She she likes the arrows. All right. So with uh, Freddy, he has his iconic uh, glove claw, mm-hmm. but he um, only kills one person with that in the film, actually. Is that Johnny Depp? No, Johnny Depp, we don't know exactly how he dies. He gets sucked into a bed. Oh, I just, I just remember, like, the blood spray, like... Yeah, he, get, like, gets pulled into his mattress with his TV, and then all the blood comes out and, like, settles on the ceiling. Mm. So... And, uh... But, uh... And there's the guy who gets hung, but he gets hung. And, uh, the first girl is the one who does get slashed and, like, hauled around on the, uh, the knife glove. But I, that's his iconic thing. Like, he has that he menaces with it. It's what he lets you know that he's serious. And, yeah, it's similar with the others, where, you know, a lot of the problems with it are continuity errors, or, like, oh, he didn't bleed from this stump. Mm-hmm. Just the one stump. And I'm like, yeah, that's being real nitpicky there. And it's a dream. He can make it look like what he wants to. Mm-hmm. That's his whole power. So, uh, any thoughts on uh, slashers in general? Oh, we did want kind of want to talk about like what we consider the first slasher to be. All right, so we have our uh, our little debate here, and the question is whether or not it's Black Christmas or Psycho. See, I'm voting Psycho, and I was more on the Black Christmas camp because uh, Psycho, while while there is a death that you see, there is only a single death in the entire film. And no, there's two. Yeah, the there's the there's the 
a well, bank manager. Oh yeah. yeah, the bank manager as well. Yeah. But you know, our mighty body count of twos. Well, that's like a hundred percent, like two hundred percent more than the previous slasher film, which there was none. <laughs> so and he doesn't go looking for people to kill. He just kind of sits there, got that vacancy sign, and waits for somebody to show up. But that's also like Jason, though. He doesn't go killing every camp counselor he can find, just the ones that come to Camp Crystal Lake. Except when he goes to space. And Manhattan. Kinda. How do we know that um, Norman Bates doesn't go on the space station? Because he's never gone to space. You don't know that. And would you know that? There's no Norman Bates in space film. There's no Psycho in space. There's no Psycho versus Freddy. In space, no one can hear you. Well, that's it. I have a new script idea, Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Look, he wants to win this real bad. Yeah. So I think a bit of it is a difference in tone. Is that uh, Psycho, it's a lot more of a mystery of what's going on. Like, you get people who just go up and then they get killed. Whereas there's a lot of more stalking, and you know that there's a threat in most of these slashers. Like, especially the later ones, like mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, or not Friday, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh-huh. We established pretty early on that there's something stalking the kids. Like, it's one of the very first scenes is an interaction with Freddy. But see, they also have that in Psycho, too, where uh, the ca- camera actually shows um, Norman Bates, like, watching people in their rooms. Yeah, so, um, 45 like, minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen Psycho? I have, yeah. Yeah, it takes forever before you even get to him. Because it's Alfred Hitchcock. He had to break new ground, man. Yeah. But I'm saying it doesn't qualify as a slasher. See, I think there's like plenty of slashing in there, so it is quali- it does qualify. What do you think, listeners? Yeah, let us know. Is Black Christmas of whatever film that is? I haven't even heard of it up until this point. Here, John, give us some info on Black Christmas right, real we'll quick. Um, it's actually like, you know, the uh, calls coming from inside the house. Yeah. Is it the one that like started that cliche? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, there's a murderer in a, or in a sorority. Came out in 1974. Yeah. During their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. Um, it's interesting as they don't actually find the killer. Okay. Yeah. It uh, had a, uh. $620,000 estimated budget made about $4 million in the U.S. So there's a reason you don't know about it, but it is, there's a stranger stalking um, college-aged girls, killing them, and they don't find out who it is. All set up for that sequel. That, I guess, didn't happen. It did get remade, but I don't know if that was any good. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. but... I think that one's technically the first slasher subgenre. I, I, if we're going with subgenre, then yeah, I, I don't think Psycho would be considered like pure slasher. It would definitely be suspenseful, like thriller. But I think it paved the way for, like, using um, retroactively, like categorizing it. I'd say it would be a slasher, but it set the seed. Yeah, I think another difference is, is there's a lot of focus on how people get killed Mm -hmm. and there's you know there's the shower scene yeah that's big but i mean the bank manager just kind of gets stabbed once and he falls downstairs uh but yeah he falls down everyone's terrified of falling down the stairs 
No, I'm well. I'm not. Well, that's it, John. I'm going to show you some stairs really quick. <laughs> Let's go look at these stairs. Just let's take a break and look at some stairs. All right. Well, while the, those guys go and check out some stairs, thanks for joining us on Plot's Backle. Please be sure to give us a uh, rating or review on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you listen to us at. It really helps spread the word about the show. And uh, apparently people want us to read reviews on air. And we could probably do that. If we get more of them. We just need more. Or if not, you know, spread the word. Tell your friends to listen to us. When you know, while you're giving them carpool rides, just turn it on in your car so that they're forced to listen to us. Yeah, they don't have a choice. Captive audiences work great. And of course, you can get a hold of us at PlotsbacklePod on Twitter or at Plotsbacklepodcast on Facebook. Alright, well, there we go.